there was a question about your mustache. We're going to skip that one. <laughs> but, yeah. No, I got like 75 questions in 24 hours. So, <laughs> people are ready for you. Ready yeah. and desperate for help. So, mm. thank you for being willing and available. Oh, you're welcome. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the God Center Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where we remind you through mentorship, friendship, and discipleship that you don't mom alone. In this episode number 212, I'm bringing back a favorite, Paul David Tripp. If there were one right thing that you could say that removed the rebellion out of the heart of your child, Jesus would have never had to come. That's not what we have. What we have is God-given opportunities to represent the big things that God wants to do in the heart of our children. Even if it looks like, at street level, I'm losing occasionally. We are planting seeds. Change is seldom an event. It's almost always a process. And I am so grateful to be on this process, this parenting journey with you. Thank you for tuning in. You know, it's not just the change in our kids, it's the change in ourselves. And although we want these quick answers and these formulas for getting it right, I'm thankful for Paul that through his book and these gospel principles, he's reminding us that it's all about the perspective. That's what shifts our parenting so that we stop trying to get rid of behavior, but we look at each opportunity that goes outside of what we'd like to see in our kids as a way to bring God's truth and the gospel into our homes and expose the things in their heart that only God can change. I know I parented differently the afternoon after I interviewed Paul, but then I've been right back to my old habits over time. I am in process, and I know we all are, to give ourselves that grace. And if you are like me and need these principles repeated over you and hope they just sink in by osmosis, you're definitely going to want to check out a live streaming event Paul just did. This is different from the one he did last year. New content. I don't want you to miss it. So stick around for that info at the end of the show. Do your people like to eat every day like my people and you're losing your mind with the whole meal planning thing? I mean, it's one of three. It's either I'm eating the exact same thing every week and we're so sick of lasagna or B, I'm searching on Pinterest and falling into the black hole there or we end up just eating out anyway and spending too much money and eating gross not healthy food. So here's the deal. I have an option for us. It's this month's sponsor. It is a subscription meal planning service. It's called Prep Dish. And they send me an email every Friday. It has the grocery list. It has how to prep everything in an afternoon and then how to cook it each night. And so I have at least four healthy meal options. I choose the paleo option. There's a gluten-free option. It's great stuff. And it's exposing my boys to some new things. Like last week, we tried a tie-in, which I don't even know if that's how you pronounce it, uh, squash and zucchini and my two little boys helped me make it so they actually ate it which was great and it's also helping with our family value of eating meals together every night uh, without me losing my mind if you want to give it a try you go to preptish.com forward slash gcm and they're going to give you the gcm listener two weeks for free you can't beat that use the code gcm all caps and you will get two weeks free all right let's get to my conversation with paul here we go Hey, Paul, welcome back to the God Center Mom podcast. Hey, it's wonderful to be with you. We uh, got a really good response from the last time you were on. So many parents desperate for help and for a new perspective. So your book, Parenting and the Gospel Principles, you presented Mm. something they were looking for but couldn't put their hands on until you spelled it out. So thank you for writing it again, and thank you for being willing to chat with us a year ago uh, and for coming back. You're welcome. It's good to be with you. So I know you have another live event coming up. Uh, By the time this show airs, it'll already have happened. And you're going to focus in on four different areas of the book. And I found it really interesting. I asked my listeners for questions. And the variety of questions, the extent of desperation kind of fits in with the first area you want to focus on, which is calling. Mm. I just feel like it's overwhelming this task and this time that we live in. Mm. Talk to us about that. As the parent coming in, ready for you to tell them how to get it right, 
how can we just s- preach a message to start of um, the grandness of this calling? So, so maybe maybe start with some questions here. Yeah. Uh, so, if you're a parent, what keeps you going when you just don't feel like going anymore? Hmm. Uh, what makes you willing to do the same thing over and over and over again? What gives you hope when your children don't offer you any hope? That's where we all live. We all live with the repetitive nature of parenting, uh, with times when we just feel like we're at the end or when we want to think hopefully about our children, but we don't see the things in our kids that we'd love to see. Mm. And I think that's when this, this deeper sense of the beauty and glory of what I've been called to is what makes me willing to do that again. Because I'll never, I'll never get that horizontally. I'll never get that from my children. And let me say it this way. You never get your capacity to parent your children from your children. Mm. Yeah. They just, they just won't give that to you. And I think a lot of parents, that's where they're looking. They're looking for these shimmers of hope or shimmers of success. And, and I get that. But you got to have something, something deeper than that. And something that sort of is your compass that keeps reminding you of just the, the significance, the magnificence, the hugeness of what God has invited you to be part of in the life of your children. And that's what, that's what calling uh, is about, that I've been called to something in the life of my children that is unique and beautiful and nobody can replace me. Hmm. And, and so when, when opportunities come up, they're not interruptions to me because I realize this is what I was designed to do. When I have to repeat myself, it doesn't make me mad because it's just another opportunity to do what I've been called to do. Hmm. When Uh, they fall short of our expectations. Sure. Yeah, sure. And, and they will, just yeah. like think of God the Father. Mm-hmm. I mean, f- forget me keeping his law. I can't even keep my own law. Yeah. I set standards for myself all the time that I don't reach. And, and so uh, we want to reflect the, the sturdiness of God's commitment, and that's what, that's what calling uh, is about. And I, and I think that... Uh, the average parent out there just doesn't have that terminology even in their thinking when they think of parenting. Hmm. So they're going day to day, reacting and responding to behavior, hoping for an outcome, hoping for uh, that feeling, that good feeling to come and coming up empty because they don't have this long term view, this this bigger picture. Well, there's, there's, there's two things you said I thought were really helpful. First of all, you get reduced to reactive parenting. Right. You just, you just respond to whatever happens at that, that moment. And that creates an inconsistency in your parenting and an emotionality in your parenting that's probably not, not helpful. Mm-hmm. You, you also find yourself, uh, again, what I would say, looking horizontally for your hope and that, that just doesn't work. You know, I jokingly say my children never got up in the morning and said to themselves, how can I give mom and dad hope as parents today? (laughs) (laughs) They just never, they never said that. And so that doesn't, that doesn't work. And so, uh, having this, this mission that I know I've been given to do, that is one of the most important investments a human being could ever make in their life is what makes me continue. And knowing that, that the God who calls me goes with me and the God who calls me never calls me to a task without enabling me to do it. And 
wherever I am, he's there and he's with me. He's in me. He's for me. And that just gives me reason to continue when I can't find any other reason to continue. Yeah. And it's not even, we're not saying that the hope is that God will do this amazing thing in your kids through you and they'll go off and do wonderful work for him. They could go and derail and be an addict and life go down in the pits and it doesn't take away from that hope that you're still in their life to share the gospel. It's not an outcome-based perspective that you're giving. That's that's right. The The good that I've been called to do in the life of my children is good because God has said it's good. Right. End of story. Mm-hmm. And, and I may not, I may not see that good. I, I, I think of, uh, Noah building the ark. There's no rain. Mm-hmm. There's no body of water. It's 120 years mm-hmm. of building. Well, what would ever motivate a man to do that? Unless you believed that what God calls you to do is good and necessary. Mm. And so you get up every day and you do it. And, and for years, you see decades, you see no real fruit of what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's really parenting because it, it is a, a lifelong thing. We have, we have adult children. We're still, we're still interacting with our children. We're still in some kind of parenting position with them. We still long to see fruit in their life. It's, it's our life. Maybe this would be helpful uh, to, to talk about what is that calling. What is that distinct thing? And, and what it is that somehow, some way, I would be able to instill in my children something that is absolutely life-altering that will has the potential of setting their life on the right trajectory and that is god consciousness Hmm. because the the average child if he doesn't if he isn't given early in his life god consciousness uh, where he realizes that the four most important words in the bible are the first four words in the beginning god Hmm. He will he will insert himself in the center of his world or her world, and he'll make life all about him. That's what all of the rebellion, all of the selfishness, uh, all of the disobedience, all of the argumentation of children is about. It's life is about me. It's about my happiness. It's about doing what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And the only thing that will ever replace that is a child growingly being aware that at the center of the universe is not them, but God. This is God's world. And, and what God has done for us here is, is just so incredibly sweet. He's created a world that by its very physical nature reveals him. So you don't have to have these abstract preachy moments with your kids. Right, right. Be- because the heavens declare the glory of God. I, I, my way of saying this, you can't get up in the morning without bumping into God. And so boiling water, you can talk about God. H- how could you fry an egg? Would not just be blown away by all, all the things that God's created there or, or baking bread or watching a sunset or, or buying your children goldfish. I mean, just all those moments are natural moments where you can rescue a child from their blindness. And I think it requires us opening our eyes to see. Well, wh- we're, we're so distracted. We, we haven't taken the moment to say, look at all that we could see it, God in, you know, and, and acknowledging it. We roll out of bed and, and the phone's right there or something. And... So to take a second to say, if this is important for our kids, let's let's open our eyes ourselves, and it be a, a practice together. You know? Absolutely, I 
I think you're exactly right that what I have to pray first is not God open my children's eyes, but open my eyes. Because I've been appointed, called by God to be an instrument of seeing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that I give my children eyes to see what they would not see without me. Because if, if you're a human being made in God's image and you're blind to the existence and glory of God, you are a spiritually disadvantaged human being. Mm-hmm. Because all of the good things that God offers, you won't go after because you put yourself in the center of your world. There's, can I say one other thing about oh, this? Of course. When, when, uh, Uh, Deuteronomy 6 talks about this. The children of Israel are, you know, preparing to go into the promised land and they talk about talking about God when you're rising up and lying down and when you're walking on the way. It then, then does something really interesting. It says, when your children ask you, why do we have all these rules and regulations? That is such a parenting moment. Mm. I mean, how many kids say, why do you make us do that? Yeah. Why do you say no to that? Why all these rules? You don't puff out your chest and say, do it because I said to do it. Or do you know how big I am? Or do you know what you're going to get? Uh, what, what God says is talk about all that God has done for you. Hmm. Talk about his goodness. Talk about this beautiful land that he's placed you in. Talk about all the wonderful things that he's provided that you could have never provided with your own hands. What he's actually saying is root the rules that you have for your children in God's goodness and his love and his grace. Talk about how wonderful this one is who has given us these rules. I think that's really beautiful because often the natural thing we do is when we want to reinforce God's rules, we talk about God as a judge. Right, right. Not, not as a redeemer. Not as someone who's good and loving and kind. And when you think of when the law was given, the law was given after Israel came out of the promised land. Because God knew these dear people had no idea how to live. And the law was an object of his love, his grace for these people, as it should be for, for our children. So, so together, your, you're creating the sense of, of God everywhere in the lives of your children. And you're attaching uh, the moral regulations you want for your children to the fact that God is good. He's kind. He's loving. And because of that, what he, what he asks us of is, is good. That means every opportunity that I have to discipline or correct is not an opportunity first to threaten my children with punishment, but to talk about how good God is. Yeah. When you're talking, I'm thinking about how well my dad did this, uh, Mm. as far as I have vivid memories of walking the beach or him anytime we saw a sunset or always went back to God and his uh, creation and, and yes, we, he also sat at the table and taught us the Bible, but it is those moments of him reframing our circumstances under mm. the worldview of how, how God loves us and how he cares for us and how he, cre- how creative he is and how in my own parenting, I can do that well if I'm in a good place, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. if I'm not emotionally or spiritually or physically feeling well or up to the task, it is a... Just do it because I said so, and the threats, if you don't, then this. And so I have found, and I'm sure my dad had moments too that I'm just not remembering, but um, you always paint those a little better uh, sometimes. So to give myself the grace um, of I will make those mistakes, but to this is a good conversation to remind me of the goal so that mm. when my go-to reactive moment is control the chaos of four boys, um, do what I want when I want so we can get to the next thing, I can 
honor my dad's memory, honor this by doing the thing of saying we have a good God and he loves us and he cares for us. Um, but I know the mom is listening who's saying, what about trying to get everybody out of the house? Got the strong-willed kid. I love this concept, but what does that look like in that moment? Give me the words. Because they keep they keep wanting to, to pin this down to something they can say. So 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 it's it's not an, an either or. Obviously your children need authority in their life. And obviously they're not capable of making choices without parenting. That's why God gave parents parents. So it's not an either or. You don't suspend the necessary things you do to bring order and direction into your children's life. But you take, you also ask the question, what is God wanting to do in the heart of this child at this moment? And how can I be part of that? Maybe that's, maybe that's after the fact where you've, you've had this battle getting it a child out of the house and into the car and it's just, you're emotionally distraught and they're upset. It's not the time to have a conversation, but later that afternoon or that evening, you sit down with the child and say, I'm going to talk to you about what happened this morning. And there's your chance to talk about the goodness of God and, and the fact that God puts parents in your life because he loves you and he gives you directions because he cares for you. And, Look at all the signs of God's blessing that are around us, that we enjoy every day, that we could have never produced on our own. It's always getting back to that. Because, you see, if if all you're looking for is a strategy mm-hmm. for success in this moment, right. what we're to- talking about, you'll do none of it. Right. Because you're never... You're never just dealing with behavior. You're always dealing with what controls the child's behavior, and that's his heart. Mm-hmm. And, and if God consciousness doesn't rule my heart, self-orientation will. That's what has to change. Now, I can't create that change, but I can, I can give God's spirit an opportunity again and again to work in the heart of my child because I'm not just looking for strategies. I'm remembering my calling. And so I know there's practical things that have to be done. Of course they do. But I also know that I've been called to something deeper and bigger than that. Let me, this sort of takes us in a little bit of different uh, direction in the conversation we're having right now. You, you, You've sort of pointed out that that uh, holding on to that calling is a bit of a spiritual war for parents. Mm-hmm. And there's 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 two things that get in the way of calling. One is parental frustration and a desire for just something that works. Yeah, our time is. We are either both outside the house working, one's working inside the house, or um, everyone's going every direction. It just it feels like there's no time to sit and process. We just need the strategy, implement the strategy, which I know so, isn't right, but that just feels like what a lot of parents are coming to me looking for. And so God's, God's promise isn't first that his way of parenting is efficient. Right. Mm. He promises that it's transformational, Mm. which is better. Uh, And, and so you, 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 you'll, you'll live with that, that, that tension. And that's why I say you're, you're always, you're always doing two things. You have to deal with the thing of, of the moment, but you always want to do that in a way that remembers your calling. But there's a second thing that I think is a big deal here, and it is there's a battle of values in the heart of every parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the biblical word that's used for this. Jesus uses it in Matthew 6 is treasure. Treasure is something of, of value. So there are values that will push against this sense of calling. Uh, 
for example, if physical things have risen to a level of value that's greater than what they should be, it's no, no, there's absolutely no sin in loving physical things. God's given us a beautiful world. He's given us pleasure gates to take in that beauty. But if that rules your heart, uh, you will spend so much time gaining and maintaining physical things that it will distract you from parenting. And, and there'll be moments when you care more about the stain on your couch than you do the soul of your child because physical things have gotten in the way or, or success. Uh, you, we've, we've been hinting at this, that, uh, if you, if you, Drive for success. You'll push, 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 push. You'll work, 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 work. And the meaningful conversations that are not about the success of this moment will be lost along the way. And success even, I know for the mom listening, it may not be monetary success, career success. It is, I did this parenting thing well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They are looking to... They don't, they don't want to do it poorly. And especially the millennials, I'm finding there's a lot of pressure to not just do it, do it well, and look good doing it. And so all of that wrapped up, if that is the treasure, like you're saying, we have to, we have to call it out. So, so I find a question that's been really helpful for me. It's one that I, I keep returning to is what set of values sets the agenda for my weekly schedule and my work as a parent. Uh, Does, does my values cause me to think of my children as an interruption Hmm. and as, as parenting moments as a hassle? I mean, let's be honest. There are times where I've stopped my way down the hallway because I was angry that my children actually needed parenting. Right, right. Uh, that's a values issue. Or the value that you want them to get into the college and get the scholarship. And so you've chalked the calendar full. And the extra stress of that is getting in the way of the parenting. Absolutely. I, I was asked to counsel a 15-year-old boy who, was, who had his mother. His mother had his success, her, his plant her plan for his success in place, and he was breaking under the load mm. of it. And she had she had lost her voice in that boy's life. What he really wanted was somebody to free him from his mother. She was well intentioned, right. but it was the wrong the wrong agenda. So if a mom listening or dad is recognizing, wow, I've put too much emphasis on these things. They are the treasures. What do they do next? So I was at the end of a parenting weekend. Uh, Dad came up to me. Uh, I could tell he was emotional, and I thought he could be angry at something I said. And <laughs> I was, I was stealing myself in this moment. I, be- I noticed he was. He began to tear up, mm. and he said, "I'm, I'm a star in the corporation I'm working for. I've been on a fast track. They have been, been." Uh, giving me promotions as fast as I can. But if, but a year ago, I heard you speak. And I went home realizing that I was an absentee father, hmm. that I knew my children's names, but I didn't actually know my children at the level of their hearts. And I went to my boss. He said we had the big suburban mansion. We had luxury cars. I went to my boss and I said, I want to talk about my position. And my boss said, I, I've given you promotions as fast as I can. I can't give another promotion. He says, I actually want a demotion. Wow. And he said, I am a dad. It's the most important thing I could ever do with my life. And I don't know my own children. Hmm. His boss said, I don't think I'll ever have another man who will say this to me. You got it. He said, you know, we're not going to be able to pay you as much. He said, that's fine. He said, we put our big house up for sale. We replaced our luxury cars with used cars. And I bought 
by doing that the time I needed with my children. He said, Paul, in this year, he said, I have five kids. Not one of my children have said to me, I wish we lived in the big house. Hmm. I wish we were driving the better cars. But he said, repeatedly, my children have said to me, Dad, I am so thankful you're around. Hmm. And then he, this man, pointed his finger at me and he said, Paul Tripp, you keep saying this. We need to hear it. And and I think that's a battle for all of us. Uh, good things take over and begin to rule our heart and get in the way of the beauty of what God has called us to. And I know, because I don't want the people listening to think this is that's one model and that's what I'm going to follow again. The, the point of that story is that this dad recognized where his heart was misplaced. And for him, yeah. he followed where God, it could be ministry. It could be other good things. And you're, you're recognizing you are not doing whatever God's assigned you to do with a heart that is right. <clears throat> so the question is, uh, what is in the way yeah. of God's call to me as a parent for yeah. me? Yeah. What yeah. tends to get in the way? And you don't ask that question once. You have to ask it repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Different seasons. Yep. I mean, for me recently, it was it was bitterness and uh, pain from the loss of my dad was getting in the way of me parenting wholeheartedly towards my kids. There was a guardedness, and that was unseen. Only I could deal with that with God. Yep. But it was holding place, not a treasure that I wanted to keep, but I was treasuring it. Um, so I think each parent doing that examination of, of would you say that's identity? That treasure thing that we're sorting out where's our identity coming from sure, in those conversations? Sure. Okay. Yeah, and, and and that's that's a very important issue also is uh where am I looking where do I get my sense of meaning and purpose and well being? Yeah. Well, trying to get that from my children is a miserable place miserable place to look. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I have children who have brokenness inside of them and who are not going to reinstill that sense of identity, who will never get, give, be able to give me that rest that my heart is, is looking for. Uh, yeah, you're meant to get that vertically. Yeah. It wasn't like that dad leaving his work because he had more times with his kids. You know, because some people would say, well, then he's just focused on his kids and that's different from what you're saying. It was him following God's lead. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and because of that, he was he was joyful, not doing that begrudgingly. And also because of that, he was able to uh, give himself more to that core thing that God had called him to. Hey, y'all, hopping in here to remind you of a very important invitation I don't want you to miss. Y'all are invited to be part of the live studio audience at our next Don't Mom Alone live event. It's happening the end of September 28th and 29th, and I would love to see you there. Details and tickets are over at GodCenteredMom.com forward slash live. You know, when you listen to a podcast episode and then you pass it on to your friend and your grandma and your nanny and your husband, you're like, oh, these are the people who help me in parenting and I want them to have the same information. Well, that's why we want you to bring your people to this event so y'all can help each other in parenting because we don't mom alone. And if you come to the event by yourself, we're going to connect you with community because we're ambassadors against loneliness. That weekend, Jim and Lynn Jackson of Connected Families will be joining us. It will be a weekend on parenting, learning how to stay connected with our kids through discipline. Lynn has been Bruce and my parent coach, and so I can't wait to invite him up on stage. It's going to be a great time. Lots of other surprises. This year, we're offering a special ticket. It's called a meet and greet ticket where I can spend some time with you before the event gets started. And Cultivate What Matters has offered a gift to those of you who purchase that ticket. I've seen some of you already buying tables for your GCM podcast clubs and small groups. That's so awesome. 
I love watching those ticket orders come in. If you want to make sure you get your ticket before they sell out, go to GodCenteredMom.com forward slash live and I will see you there. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Paul. Here we go. Do you want to go to the questions that people sent in? Sure. Let's let's take some questions. Yeah. Okay. We're looking again, very specifics, but what mm. do you do when a child starts lying? How do you correct and discipline? Uh, okay. So th- th- I always want to give uh, a big picture that sort of orients what to do in this moment. Mm-hmm. And here's the, here's the big picture. Uh, if your eyes ever see or your ears ever hear, the sin, weakness, of failure of your children, like lying, it's never an interruption. It's never a hassle. It's never an accident. It's always grace. God loves that child. He will expose the need of that child to you so you can be part of what he alone is able to do in the life of that child. Yeah. So you don't get mad that the, a lie has been exposed. That's actually God loving your child. And that, that's actually God giving you an opportunity. So that's the first thing. Uh, the perspective on the incident. Yeah. Right. And, and the perspective on the fact that this isn't first personal mm-hmm. because it's not just me and my child. This is a God who is exposing something in my child so I can be part of his help and rescue. Before, so this, a, before this grows, because I think we assume sometimes when it's a little kid, there's a certain, I feel like, developmental stage where they start lying and they become aware, oh, I could say the not truth and not get in trouble. Um, and we project, well, now they're going to prison. Like, this is just going to continue and they're ruined if I don't stomp this and get rid of it. And to have that perspective, no, this is a gift that we can shine a light on and figure out what's actually going on. So what a wonderful thing that yes. God loves my child yes. enough yes. to expose this early in his life before it's taking control of his heart. Exactly. What a beautiful thing. Mm. So how can I be part of this beautiful thing? Well, what, what I want to do is I want to add uh, instruction and the gospel to correction and discipline. I don't want to just say, because you lied... And lying is wrong. This is what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Because that misses the opportunity. I'm going to correct. And I may need to discipline. But I want to instruct. So instruction means help this child to begin to understand the dangers of what he's giving himself to. Now you say it's a four-year-old. Well, talk to your four-year-old. Because what this, what this child is doing is he is assembling the bits and pieces of a view of life that he will continue to assemble through his adulthood. Give him the right bits and pieces. He may, he won't understand everything, but he's going to lie again and you're going to get another opportunity. You don't have to accomplish this all, all at once. Uh, my, my granddaughter came, came in. She's four years old to me and she says, Grandpa, you're a man. You're a boy. I'm not a boy. I'm a girl. Mommy's a mommy's a girl. Daddy's not a girl. Daddy's a boy. And I just thought, isn't that something? She's beginning to assemble these little pieces that are making life sense, making sense to her. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing, instruction. The second thing, this opportunity to talk about the grace of Jesus. That Jesus came to rescue me from me. Because there's in, things inside of me that would hurt me. And I can run from a location. I can run from another person, but I can't run from myself. And uh, you could, you can't, you can't conquer those things inside of you by yourself. That's why God sent His Son. Now, again, that's simple. Takes 15 seconds. The child won't get all of that. But you're planting seeds mm-hmm. that you're going to continue to water and are going to continue to grow. So when you're dealing with lying. Remember, that's a good thing that you have the opportunity to deal with this. That's not a bad thing. That's a sign of God's love. And if your identity is in the right place and you've recognized, like, their lying does not mean I'm a liar. 
I'm not a bad mom because they're lying. This is the sin that we believe is in all of us is in this child. And it is okay. I'm going to survive it. And it's actually a good thing. Like you said, it's an opportunity to get that at the heart level. So because it's an opportunity, you add instruction Mm -hmm. and the gospel to correction and discipline. And, and I want to say one other thing, your, your goal isn't to win in that moment. Mm. So the child falls on his knees and says, I'm a horrible <laughs> lying sinner. And where is the savior? Right. Because you have to have, you have to have a, a process mentality. This is just one of thousands of conversations I'm going to have with this child. And I'm going to plant seeds knowing I'm going to get another, another opportunity. And I'm thankful for that. And I can't, by the force of my argument, the strength of my personality, or the volume of my voice, change that child's heart. Mm. Only God can do that. And I'm thankful for this opportunity. This is part of God's process of rescuing my child. It's really good. That was really good. We had a situation this morning. I needed to remember all this. Mm. I had an opportunity this morning. Um, (laughs) So let's say, like you had said, we're not going to expect the repentance right away, but there, I feel like there are seasons in childhood and development, even in kids who have grown up in the church where maybe they were, you know, gung ho. Yes. Jesus gospel. And then they kind of, are sorting it out for themselves and maybe unwilling to repent. I kind of actually oppose the repentance process. How should you parent in that situation? You've done all these things. Well, you've set up the framework of what's expected and you've seen them, seen them as opportunities and the heart just isn't repenting. See, I, I think what, what, what happens is, we, we talk very positively about the joys and blessings of relationship with Jesus with our young children. We should do that. All those things are true. But, but I think what uh, a teenager begins to be aware of is that this is a call to die to myself mm. and to forsake this agenda of me at the center of my universe and to live in in self-conscious, willing submission to somebody other than myself. And that is the most unnatural thing for a human being ever to do. Because 2 Corinthians 5.15 says that Jesus came, this is really helpful, so that those who live would no longer live for themselves. The natural thing for a person coming into the world apart from the rescue of God's grace, is to live for themselves. So, stay with me here. Yeah. <laughs> Rebellion isn't this weird, unnatural thing. Mm-hmm. It's a natural thing for a sinner. What is fundamentally unnatural is that I would submit to the will of someone I can't hear, see, or touch. And so I'm not shocked that I'm facing rebellion. I'm, how could I be shocked? I've got it in my own heart. Mm. I mean, but think about this. If I'm a dad and I'm now screaming at one of my children with anger that I shouldn't have, with words that I shouldn't say, I'm not doing that because I'm ignorant of the fact that that's wrong. I'm doing that. Because at that point, I don't care what's right or wrong. I'm mad and I'm going to say what I'm going to say. Yeah. That's, that's mm. rebellion. And mm. so what, I, what I, I want to remember in those moments when I'm dealing with that rebellion is I'm more like my child than unlike him. And no one gives grace better. No one deals with, that, with those things with more patience and love than someone who knows they desperately need the same in their own life. Now, that, that doesn't mean you don't deal with the rebellion, but it, but it just alters the way that you deal with it. I think we may have talked about this last time we we conversed, but, but 
one of my struggles when I when I use the word grace in parenting, parents think that just means being permissive. And the fact of the matter is, grace never calls wrong right. If wrong were right, there'd be no need for grace. Grace the f- acknowledges wrong. It's just a, a way of dealing with wrong. So instead of angry words and condemnation and slapping on a punishment and walk away, I want to be part of God's work of changing the heart of this child. And so how can I how can I take advantage of this moment of of rebellion? And I find one of the ways that I want to do that is I want to get the child in a situation where the emotions are de-escalated and ask him questions that he would never be able to ask himself. What are some of those? Well, uh, so I, I, I say when, when, when I was asking to do that, tell me what you were thinking and feeling inside. Hmm. Tell me what you wanted. Help me to understand why you got so angry. Now, what I'm doing is a rebellious child will say, you, 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 you. Hmm. They're, they're making it about you, not about them. Those questions turn the camera toward the child and actually get him to look at what's going on inside of himself. And I don't know when God's going to give him a burst of insight, but I'm going to keep doing that because that's unnatural for us. If you ask a five-year-old why he pushed his sister and knocked him down, he won't talk about himself. She, he, won't say, yeah, yeah. He, he won't say because I'm a selfish sinner and <laughs> I got violence in my heart, you should expect worse from me. Uh, and if you ask a 16-year-old why he did exactly what you asked him not to do, he won't talk about himself. He'll talk about you. He'll talk about the situation. So every time that's revealed, you want to capture the opportunity to, to begin to help him to see that the struggle, the main struggle, isn't outside of him. It's inside of him. You're prepping them before they have to go to 12-step recovery, which which is the heart yeah. of what was I feeling, thinking, what did I do? So yeah. to have that prep is great. So, okay, so that's the teen. I got questions about strong-willed toddlers who I'm guessing a toddler hasn't professed faith. So we're talking about an unbelieving strong-willed toddler. Well, I I kind of think all toddlers are strong-willed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Some of them advance their sovereignty by uh, compliant manipulation, mm-hmm. and some some advance their sovereignty by screaming and yelling and kicking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I taught kindergarten for four years. One of my most rebellious students was this sweet little doe-eyed smiling <laughs> girl who would have never said a word to me smiled at me always said yes and then went off and did exactly what she wanted to do hmm. so I, I i think it's important not to put rebellion in one character basket yeah because as a variety of uh, of expressions to it. Uh, what I know is that every child coming into the world believes in their autonomy and their self-sufficiency. Autonomy means my life belongs to me and I should be able to live it the way I want. And every every child thinks they're self-sufficient. I, I'm capable of living. I don't need your help and your instruction. Mm. So that means the the fight about what to eat with a younger child is not about diet. The child hasn't read a diet book. It's about authority. I don't want you to tell me what to put in my mouth. Uh, the fight over when to go to bed is not about sleep. It's it's again about authority. The 
the fight over what's appropriate to wear to wear clothing wherever you're going is not about clothing. It's about I want to rule my life. So the earlier you get at those authority issues, the better off you are. So how would you how would you start with a toddler who whether they're compliant or they're strong, like outwardly strong willed? How would you have that conversation? So uh, what I what I want to say is fight your authority battles early. Here's what parents do. They uh, they fail to realize that these simple issues are not so simple because they're just a little child's expression of rebellion to authority. So you want to capture those those opportunities. And uh, what you have to do is exactly what God did. You have to attach to the call to obey the existence of consequences for disobedience. Hmm. That is actually doing gospel work. Because until you accept the bad news, the good news won't mean anything to you. Does that make sense? Yeah. If, if life is open and has no consequences, why would I bother ever to obey? Hmm. If, if, if you're in school and you're told you need to get passing grades, but failure has no consequences. Why study? Mm-hmm. So you, you, you want to teach your child early, A, that there's an authority in this world that they're not it, and they're not it, that that authority figure has sent parents to be his physical expression of his authority, that there are rules in life that we all are called to obey because God is good and he knows what's best for us and that there are consequences for not obeying those rules. But there's a, there's a final thing that I need help because I don't naturally want to obey. And I think it's great to, to use yourself as an example, uh, that, that this struggles inside of you too. So again, you're, you're rooting that moment not in just how do I get my child to stop doing this, but how do I begin to orient him to the danger of what he's doing because he'll never win. You will never, ever be a person outside of authority. Every human being lives under authority. You'll never win. So I'm picturing this battle that's escalating. This mom asking, maybe it's just put shoes on. Maybe it's stay in your room at night. And the child keeps coming out, keeps coming out, keeps coming out. Or refuses, kicks the shoes off. Mom puts the shoes on, kicks the shoes off. Mom's... And she is desperate. This is her all day, every day. This fight for authority. What encouragement can we give her? Well... Oh, okay. The, the, the encouragement, first encouragement is, uh, she just needs to own her inability to ever produce desires in the heart of her child that she can't produce. God to do that. God doesn't put that responsibility on her, but there are things she should, she can do. Let me, let me give you an example. So I'm, I'm counseling a couple who has a child who gets out of bed every, every night. Over and over, over, hours, over hours. and over again. So if you want to demonstrate that there is a God in this world who will never compromise his law in order to deliver his grace, then you have to be that visible representation. So the dance is what I do. I say, get a chair, put it next to your child's bed. And when your child goes to bed, go sit in that chair. And every child, every, every time the child begins to get up, say, no, no, no. You know, mom and dad have asked you to stay in bed. I will stay in this chair for as many nights as it takes before you realize that this is what you need to do. That's a sacrifice God's called us to. Mm-hmm. On the fourth night, the father called me, said my child just slept through the night. 
Because something connected in the dear heart of that child that I won't win. My dad really means what he says, which is a representation of God meaning what he says, which is the beginning of the rescue of that child's heart. And if the parent's feeling weak and they're about to lose it, like after an hour, you know, night two or night three, do you do a swap off or we have to be aware oh, of like absolutely. our limits so absolutely. that we don't... You're, because you're never you're never without limits and yeah. and look if 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 you need a night's sleep take a break the good yeah. thing about it is in every one of these situations if you're so angry that you can't deal with things properly don't deal with it mm-hmm. god loves you your child you live with your child you'll get another opportunity right so th- that's why i said that this i, I got to win in this moment it's just not the way it is i'm i am amazed always not by the things that Jesus spoke to and his disciples, but all the things he didn't. Mm-hmm. Because you can't deal with everything all the time, you'd, you'd be crazy and exhausted. So, you know, you, you say to yourself, okay, this is a bad moment. I was riled up. Uh, I got to I got to de-escalate this moment. I didn't accomplish what I wanted to accomplish, but I know God loves my child. I know he's going to reveal this stuff again, and I know I'm going to get another opportunity. That's good. Because there, there were more parents, um, angry kids, throwing things, yelling, uh, disrespectful kids. A lot of questions about that is there's this patience that comes when you're – It's. I feel like your whole conversation is shifting the perspective on when those things happen is foundational. And just continuing to bring the gospel and not relying on I need to say the exact right thing so my child stops being angry so my child stops being disrespectful. Okay, let me let me just quickly speak to that. Mm-hmm. If there was, if there were one right thing, yeah, that you could say that re- removed the rebellion out of the heart of your child, Jesus would have never had to come. Yeah, yeah. That's not what we have. Mm-hmm. What we have is God-given opportunities to represent the big things that God wants to do in the heart of our children. Even if it looks like at street level, I'm losing occasionally. We are planting seeds. And I know what it's like. I have, I have four children. My daughter's the shortest in the family. She's six foot one. I'm about five ten. My sons go up from there. I know what it's like to stand at the door. My children are going to go into Center City, Philadelphia. My two, two sons and know that those boys would never think of saying no to me. That's the legacy of 10,000 conversations. Yeah. That have finally, that God has used to progressively alter the content of that child's heart. You've got to look down the road. Mm. A change is seldom an event, it's almost always a process. It's really good. One last question, and our time is almost up. There was uh, several that asked for special advice for parents of kids who are adopted. Well, I think it's it's uh, very very important to know that you will you will not magically turn your adopted child into your natural child. Hmm. Uh, that that there is there is innate hardwiring in that child that's different from what your children have gotten through you and your husband or you and your wife. That's the first thing, that that the pathway of parenting is different. The second thing I would say that uh, I don't think is talked about enough is that every adopted child is going to have huge identity and belonging issues Mm -hmm. because they are dealing with something that God never intended children to deal with. In God's original plan, children would live in the home of their natural parents and they would never wonder 
about what their true identity is, they would never wonder, do I, do I actually belong? Hmm. And um, so I, I want to do everything I can to uh, help my child to deal with those identity and belonging issues. Do you bring them up in questions or wait till it just surfaces? I, I think it's important to, as soon as you get any consciousness that the child is looking around or you may hear something the child says, you introduce that topic early. Mm-hmm. And, and one, of the things, one of the things we said to we have an adopted daughter is that we are as persuaded that you were meant to be our daughter as your brothers were meant to be our sons. God just decided to bring you in a different pathway. Uh, and we never, ever think of you as our adopted daughter. We think of you as our daughter. Uh, and then we've, we've always sought to help her to deal with the reality of the fact that she has some some natural instincts that are different than anybody in the family. Yeah. And and to validate the beauty of those things. They're not weird and different. They're beautiful things. They're an expression of who she is as as a human being and she should not be embarrassed about those. She should not feel weird in the context of our family. But I think again that that conversation that uh, this was ordained for you to, you were ordained to be in this family as much as our children were, is tremendously helpful. And then then don't ever quiet questions. Be willing to deal with all the questions. Uh, be willing to help the child uh, get a sense of their origins and wonder. Don't ever be intimidated by that. Do everything you can to quiet they're feeling that I'm in a world where I don't know who I am and I don't know where I actually belong. It's very helpful. Thank you for sharing that. Mm. I was not aware that you all had adopted. Mm. Um, how old was she when y'all did, adopted her? She was uh, four months. Okay. And did you were you did you know the birth mom and were you in relationship with her? Or? No, no. It it was it was more. Adoption was more private than yeah. uh, we had. We have really we had really fine information about uh, her story, and that's another thing I would say is look for every any way you can tell the story in a positive way. Uh, her mom uh, got pregnant on a prom weekend, and her family wanted her to abort the baby, and she refused to do that. She walk the streets until she found a place that she thought would take care of her. So it's really a story, not a rejection, a story of love. Yeah. Brave and love. So we've, Brave yeah, love. So, so yeah. we've told that, we've told that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so look for things that you can, you can point to that are positive and beautiful. Uh, but that's been her. She's known about that from very early times. Yeah. Thank you, Paul, for being with us. Uh, Again, such a pleasure. And y'all, I'll give you all the details about the parenting event so you can sign up and watch that. All right. Thanks, Paul. Have a good day. Uh, Thank you. Bye. Bye. I'm so grateful that Paul gave us an hour of his time, although I didn't really check with him at the beginning of the interview. So he gave us an hour of time, which was so generous. And also, I didn't have coughing fits that kept us from doing the interview. Like only one time did I have to mute myself. So if you are looking for more of Paul, I always leave wanting more. You've already purchased his book, Parenting. You have his New Morning Mercies devotional, which is an amazing devotional. Um, I'd highly recommend that. And if you did his live stream event last year and you're like, I still want more. Well, in August, he just recorded all new content on a live streaming event that we can have access to. 
just go to godcenteredmom.com forward slash parenting and you can see the information there. You can purchase a license for you to watch with your small group or your church if you're a youth minister or grandparent. Paul gives such great perspective on God's big plan for us as parents. It's such a relief and his content in this live event was is just really, really good. Not to be missed. Totally different from even our interview and what I've interviewed last time. And it's it's great stuff. So definitely go to godcentermom.com forward slash parenting if you're looking for more from Paul. All right. Uh, next week, I'm bringing on two friends that have both adopted and uh, their children have been diagnosed with autism and other special needs. So um, it's a Don't Mom Alone episode for sure. It's my real people who are walking through real life stuff. And it's hilarious, actually. We laugh a lot, even in spite of some hard, hard things. And then the week after that is Jackie Hill Perry, which if you don't know who she is. Get ready. It's good. So good. Okay. Y'all have a fabulous week. We still have one more week of summer and then it's back to school. Hope you're well. Adios. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God-Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to godcenteredmom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and he is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.